Welcome to Untangling Christianity. On this show, John and Greg attempt to diffuse destructive ideologies, unsnarl confused ideas, consider love and truth in Christianity. I'm John Polstra. And I'm Greg Monteith. Well, last weekend I went to Podcast Movement 2015 in Fort Worth, Texas. It was about a thousand degrees there. Not unlike what it's been in Portland, so not much change to the weather, but there was a great conference there. And I went to the same conference last year. I may have mentioned it before. And a common question or conversation starter at this conference is, so do you have a podcast? And if so, what's it called? <laughs> and this this brought up some interesting things for me that I'd, like, I'd love to bounce off of you and I want to get your uh, your take on. I'm so, game. I remember this from last year, I think. Oh, you do? Okay, so... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe I didn't grow as much as I thought. But last year, <laughs> <laughs> I found myself kind of early on, you know, feeling feeling this kind of twinge of embarrassment, this twinge of like, are you going to accept me? Or I felt vulnerable in some way. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. Well, I kind of know why. And so it was just interesting to kind of watch myself over the course of the weekend. By the end of the weekend, I was like, yeah, it's untangling Christianity. And but there were certain points where you know you, you throw it, and I always throw it out kind of with like, well, let's see how this is going to land. I, you know, I'm trying to mm-hmm. read the person. Sometimes mm-hmm. I, I think my fear in saying the name was always like I was, you know, someone was going to walk away in disgust or <laughs> be like, oh, Christians are idiots, or you know, just something really abrasive. That has yeah. never happened to me, and I probably answered this question fifty times now between this year and last year. The interesting thing that came out of the conversation this year was, well, so, yeah, and the responses this year ranged from, hey, that's cool, and that was kind of the end of it, to, whoa, really? Tell me, like, well, what's that all about? Or, in fact, a couple people, like, immediately, like, took out their phones and were, like, going to look it up on iTunes. No way. I'm like, okay, I guess that's a good sign. With a couple of people, like, one person I remember vividly as we're talking, you know, kind of natural part of the conversation, he said, so are you a Christian? Hmm. And I said, I don't know. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, it just, like the words just like flew right out of my mouth. I was like, I don't know. And in some ways that was really freeing. In other ways it was like, yeah, what, what does that word even mean? Mm-hmm. And so I know we bounce this around a little bit, but I'm curious, like, and you know, and when I say I don't know, I'm thinking, well, one, I don't even really know how you define the term anymore. Mm. Two, if you were to define the term the way I've always understood it, uh, no, it'd be a, it'd be more of a hard no. Mm-hmm. But it was just like, okay, so I wonder how Greg would answer this question. <laughs> so wow. in your, in your dealings, in your. Uh, activities in the world. Say you're at a, I don't know, a mediation conference or some class mm-hmm. that you're taking, and someone were to say, "Are you a Christian?" What would you say? Well, I mean, that question would probably not come out of the blue, right? It would probably have. Okay, so the setup here is you get to talking about something, and someone's talking about podcasting, and they're talking okay. about how podcasting is growing and you know there's more and more podcasts and more and more interesting things and someone turns to you and says hey would you ever do a podcast and you say ah actually i do one i say oh really what's it about or what's it called and you say untangling christianity and then they say so are you a christian 
Yeah. So that's an interesting presentation. <laughs> <laughs> that's a realistic um, setup, don't you think? It is. No, it's not unrealistic. I guess I have a couple of responses. One of them is, and I don't think this question falls into that category. And I should caveat, I mean, the caveat here, of course, is that yeah. you and I are in different places. So I'm not expecting you, I'm not expecting us to have the same answers or anything. It's it's it, it's just more of a, yeah, for me, it's more of a like, curiosity of like, well, how would you answer the question and how would you define the term or how do you define the term? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, one of the things that I I try to avoid, and if I'm put in the position, I will just I will just back out. I won't even answer. Is if someone's asking me a question that acts as a litmus test to categorize, or you know, I think more often kind of pigeonhole me. So if if somebody throws something to me about abortion, if somebody throws something to me about uh, some sexuality issues, if, if if this just comes out of nowhere, I will simply say, you know, the issue is really broad and I'm not going to tell you what I think because it's really broad. It's going to take a long time. I, we better start with something simpler. Um, and if that person isn't happy with that and they walk away, then that's just fine. Um, <laughs> so now that question, are you a Christian, isn't, isn't often to be, I wouldn't often take it that, that, that they're trying to kind of you know, pigeonhole me. They're trying to just basically understand me. They're not trying to find out what exact flavor of Christianity I am. And they're not trying to find out, you know, are you like me or are you not? I don't think that's often what's being asked. Those are good clarifications. Yes, because in this very specific context, I had been, I told the name of our podcast and I had explained how it had started and some of my journey and you know, what we were learn- learning and talking about. And so, yeah, it was, in this case, it was not to, to qualify me or anything. It was just a natural part of the question. It is a natural mm-hmm. question. Yeah, yeah. Well, y- 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 and I guess, too, it, it makes me think of two things. If someone was to ask me a question like that, um, I, would, I would really weigh up my answer on the basis of what I'm, what I'm faced with right then and there. Because, and this ties into kind of maybe what you were saying earlier about, you know, you're kind of leery when someone first asks you, you know, what's the name of your podcast? You're not sure if you want to tell them. And I think it's really important for me to say, as a Christian, you know, there's no question in my mind that I am, that I am a Christian. I'm not talking about, you know, what's going on in God's mind about how God conceives me. But in terms of my own view of myself, in terms of my stated kind of um, the claims I've staked and the positions that I'm holding and the things that I am endorsing, I am a Christian. However, and I loved how, I, by the way, I love how confidently you say that. Oh. I just, I just, I don't know. I just like the vibe that I get when you say it. Oh, well, that's really um, good feedback. I, I wouldn't have ever expected anyone to say that, but okay. Um, that's cool to know. Um but I'm also very, very, very hesitant because when I say the word Christian, my guess is 99 point something percent, high number, 9%, 99% of the people that I'm talking to have a perception of what that entails that will be variously somewhat to extremely different from who I am and what I think and how I engage with the world. And would you? And is that on a scale of like really positive or really negative or just very different? 
Um, to my mind, a lot of it would be mostly negative. You know, most of it, you know, I think of Mark Knoll and the scandal of the evangelical mind. And at, at base, you know, this is a book he wrote back in what, the late 80s, I think. And the, the basic notion is that the, the quote unquote scandal is there is no evangelical mind. You know, and I think, I think we've, we've taken steps since the, you know, writing of that book to we being evangelicals um, to, to change that. But by and large, the, you know, if someone was just were to say to me, you know, Christians aren't very thoughtful. They don't engage thoughtfully with the world around them. I would agree. And I'm not just agreeing to be kind or sympathetic or, or, you know, foster a conversation. I would agree because I agree. And I'm not in that camp. You know, in fact, sometimes I should be more in that camp. I should, you know, tone it down a little bit, take a little bit more time watching a movie and having some popcorn maybe, as opposed to reading the stack of books beside me. But so I guess I want to say that there's this notion of being embarrassed or ashamed of the gospel. And that is nothing to do. I was about to look that verse up for you. (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah, but I think we need to be really clear in distinguishing between what, who God is, what the gospel is, and what the cultural trappings of Christianity are that tend to be overlaid upon this notion of being a Christian. Those are what I want to, you know, depends on the situation. If I've got enough time and I think the person's really interested, I'll get into it, right? Because the other problem with this, so on the one hand, there's this uh, idea that yeah, I think I'm very different than the norm. And on the other hand, I, I would, you know, I remember with my thesis, I'll use this example. My thesis is very broad. So I'm different, but also in a very broad way, I think. And I'm not, this is just how I see myself, you know, and, and some of the paths that I've been on. But I remember going through uh, my thesis and at a certain point, you know, um, there would be a bunch of us, a very small handful of us, let's say, a very small handful who were writing theses and or others who were, you know, writing their larger papers at the end of their, their graduate degrees, and we might have a conversation. And, and so I might say, so what's your paper on? What, do you, what are you working on? And they would give me a, a, an answer. And invariably, every single time this happened, and it wasn't once or twice, it was a lot, when someone would reply, would ask me or ask me in reply, I would try to go into it. And at a certain point, we would, I'd lose them. It was just like, literally like the work that I wrote, the reality is it was two to three to four times bigger, depending upon what the other person was writing, whether it was a thesis or something else. And I'd also been granted just a lot of latitude by my supervisor in terms of being, allowing me to go over my limit. So it's really big and I'm trying to encapsulate this. And I ended up at the end, I I talked, you know, to my mentor and I, I told him the problem. He said, yeah, don't do that. Don't, don't try and give them everything. Ask them, put out one or two things and ask them what they think about that. And I think that's what I would do with Christianity as well. Are you a Christian? Um, I think I am. Mm. And, 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 and then, you know, let's say, well, how does that go? Right. And, and if, uh, or if it's a if it's a question of you know 
who are you and what do you believe? If they're trying to get to know me, then yes, I'm a Christian. If it's a casual comment that comes out of nowhere or that might be attached to my blog or whatever, um, I'm often very hesitant. And so I might say other things, which I've been called out on. I've been saying, well, it depends on what you mean by that. You know, and someone might say, well, I don't know. Do you believe in God? Yeah, I believe in God. Do you go to church? I go to church. Okay, so you're a Christian. Well, <laughs> I think I am, but I think a lot of other people wouldn't think that. And then that might pique their curiosity too, or it might might get their hackles up, right? If they're, and you know, I'm not trying to play fast and loose or be shifty, but I think the things I'm saying are very true. I think there are many people who would consider the positions that I take and the way that I approach things, you know, the way that I approach. The Bible. I mean, we must interpret it. It's, it's an interpreted, we're constantly interpreting all of our realities, interpreted reality. It doesn't mean it's not there or it, there's no truth or no correspondence with external, you know, realities. But um, some of these emphases are things that Christians by and large completely ignore. And I think that that is, that's not a small point. That's a, that's a major point. So to say that I'm different or I think I'm a Christian, but other people might not, um, is I, telling the truth, you know? And also, I guess, I guess part of the, part of the thing for me is I'm not sure how to engage other people meaningfully in conversation about Christianity, partly because, mainly because, to go back to that table analogy that I've used a number of times throughout, you know, our time podcasting together, Christianity, if you will, is like a table and it's full. It's overflowing. So when someone says, are you a Christian? They basically have some form of access to that table. They, they, they perceived well or not well, some portion of what's on that table. And I say yes. And they say, oh, so you're, you're kind of like this part of the table, but they don't say that, right? They just know that. And I think that's what I find very difficult is when people have a preconceived notion that I think almost to a person would be misconceived. And yet that's who I am to them. And I guess I find that incredibly frustrating given the amount of time and effort that I've put in over the last, I don't know, 20 years um, working to be a real human being and to be an authentic human being and finding that that authenticity is most accessible and most legitimate within Christianity and then allowing that Christianity and my humanity to intertwine in a way that makes me real. Say more about that that allows you to be your most authentic. Well, I mean, I think this is part of where, where I'm going when I look at the importance of love and truth, truth and love. I think as a human being through the course of my life, I have come to see and believe through my experiences, through, you know, hearing stories from others, through uh, many different avenues, literature and film and, 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 you know, engaging with the biblical text that these two things are indispensable to human being to write human living and in my experience particularly and in all the research and study that i have done 
both sort of then on the experiential plane and on the epistemic plane. So what I live out and what I know or understand, my ability to live life well as a truth seeker, my ability to love others and be loved are maximized, if you like. They are most what they should be, and I then become most what I can, who I can be as a Christian. And I think these are incredibly compelling arguments, but very difficult to sort of put out there in a one or two step process. You know, so again, that whole idea of apologetics for me is it's almost like a category mistake. I'm not coming in to explain to people why I'm right and why they're wrong. But living in a state of being where I am most myself and I want to share that and I want to share, you know, what it is to be alive in a way that's right and to promote that for myself and for others. So is that stu- still too up in the air? Or no, no, that- no. That, that, that fills in some gaps. Yeah. I mean, it's a really hard question you've, you've asked me and, and I think, you, you know, um, I think I think a lot depends too on 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 timing and motivation and is somebody going to ask me that that straightforwardly are you a christian I mean the odds are that I'm not going to hedge unless I think that something is sketchy is happening you know or someone's just They're trying being set up Yeah yeah and, and some people would say well you know that's just to God's glory anyways and I would say no you know, walking into something stupid and knowing that it's that it's stupid and, and biting on it, that that's not glorifying God. That's being stupid. And I think we can be a lot more savvy and a lot more connected, a lot more self-honoring and self-valuing and other honoring and other valuing by taking a moment, stepping back, if you know, metaphorically, and saying, okay, uh, I'm not sure. In other words, what is that person really asking? Do they really want to know if I'm a Christian or do they want to know if I'm a legitimate human being? You're writing on Christianity. Why on earth? You're podcasting on Christianity. Why on earth would I want to listen? You'd want to listen because I'm a real human being, because I think I've found some things that are really legitimate here. But, but for me to be able to... How do I get a hearing on that, on that level, right? right? I'm asking them, grant me credibility off the bat. And oftentimes what happens when we claim, at least in my culture, you know, uh, in a Canadian culture, maybe not so much in an American uh, environment, but in Canada, I mean, claiming Christianity right off the bat is a great way to um, just kind of, your, your, your credibility is, you know, it's <laughs> credibility zero. I'm not in for that, right? And as particularly when it's not, I don't think standing up for your faith means um, playing into someone's closed, albeit, you know, their closed way of seeing the world and allowing them to reinforce that. And I want to stand up against that. And sometimes that'll mean you know, in certain contexts, I just won't play the game because it is a game. Someone's trying to test me. They're trying to pigeonhole me. You know, you're either stupid or you're smart. No, I'm sorry. I'm not playing that game. That's a false dichotomy. I won't do it. But, you know, there are other times where it's still tricky 
but maybe there's some room to maneuver. And so, you know, what is, where are we? Are we, are we, are we waiting? Are we on a bus that's stuck? You know, we're sitting here, we're both of us, we're not going anywhere. You want to have a conversation. Okay. Let's see what the conversation can look like. Given that, you know, I'm a real human being and I want to be productive, right? I want to be taken at face value. You want, you want legit stuff, then you're going to have to take it that way. Right. And I can't force that person to do that. I can't, I can't determine how they'll interpret what I say, but I can, you know, either offer or not offer certain content based on how they're presenting themselves. And I guess that's what I'm seeing. All of that is a really long way of, of saying that um, I think it's naive and in fact damaging to Christians and Christianity and to non-Christians to just come forward and say, you know, here's what I am to do. Sometimes that's okay, right? It's not always damaging. But sometimes I think it is actually damaging and we need to be a lot more savvy and engaged with the person and connected with what's going on. I mean, I think that's part of loving your neighbor, actually. Saying, hey, this guy isn't looking for, he's looking to dismiss me on the basis of me being a Christian. And that's where the conversation will end. And you can walk away and you can say, oh, well, those, that poor non-Christian guy, he's just kind of, uh, or a woman, uh, he, she is uh, simply, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're blind to the truth. And, uh, you know, my job's just to present them with the truth. And there you go. And and I would just think, you haven't presented them with any truth. You've told them where you stand. And you effectively marginalized yourself in a situation where maybe that was going to happen anyways. But, you know, you really didn't give it a fighting chance. You didn't really take the time or make the effort to do it right. And I think then contrary to this whole notion that an apologetic approach is the kind of courageous approach, the um, you know honoring God approach as opposed to being ashamed of God approach, that it may actually be the wrong approach. And that maybe what's required is for you to say, I don't know, seen this, I'm on my bus route to work. I've seen this guy three or four times before and he doesn't always take this bus, but uh, you know, I, I'm not going to kind of um, let the cat out of the bag right now because I can, I've just got this sense that if I tell him, yeah, just straight up, I'm a Christian, that's the end of the conversation. So I wonder what I could do so that maybe the next time we can sustain a conversation because this, I'm giving this guy enough to allow him to believe that I have credibility, that I am an authentic human being. And out of that, then we can go someplace else. So, you know, I guess the other part is to, in, a, in, a, in a conversation, on the one hand, you want to, I would want to engage with the person who's engaging me. On the other hand, I would not want to take straight up the idea that that person's sense of where the conversation should go is the best sense. So they may want to know that. That's great. But I, I, you know, if I find that their motives are, if I wonder if their motives are questionable or if I think they're questionable, I'll go in a different direction. Todd, does any of this tie into the reading you've been doing on apologetics? Well, yeah, I think, I think at this point, I've been reading uh, Ravi Zacharias's uh, Beyond Opinion, and uh, I've just kind of just just cracked it, and then I've gone back to uh, a couple of books by some some really uh, some academic books on postmodernism, and uh, like I've got Jamie Smith's Who's Afraid of Postmodernism, Merrill Westfall's 
whose community was which interpretation. And then there's a, a really good edited book by Christianity uh, by Mar- Myron Penner, uh, Christianity in the Postmodern Turn. Um, oh yeah, we were going to pick that up. Well, in the last one, I was saying that I thought we needed to define terms. Can you mm. give a quick definition of postmodern postmodernism? Well, no, I probably can't, but I'll try. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, like uh, I think I think calling it a a worldview or a movement is wrong. It is not a worldview. It's not answering a whole bunch of key questions. It's more of a filter or a lens. It's more of, if you like, a condition or an orientation to the world. And certainly not a movement. It's not something that's established or that's promoted. You don't have postmodern rallies or get-togethers. Um, <laughs> I've never heard of one. No, no. Um, you know, it, it, what I find to be striking, uh, Jamie Smith's book, I think, is good in it, where where it, where it's working with postmodernism per se and kind of offering some definition and he he looks to three um french philosophers uh Jean-François Lyotard um Jacques Derrida and Michel Foucault and uh looks at their notions uh you know Derrida's there's nothing outside of the text you know everything is interpretation Foucault Foucault's notion that um power is knowledge that power and control dictate knowledge and information versus the other way around. And then Leotard's notion of, um, you know, that postmodern, postmoderns or those who are, postmodernism is essentially a state of being, of disbelieving and being suspicious of large stories that try to encompass all of reality and that have this also this sort of self-validating capacity for those who are telling them. And so, is it also the the notion that the like related to like art and beauty that that it's kind of just all in the eyes of the beholder? In other words, there's it's it's whatever that person gets from it or brings to it is what's there or. Yeah, kind of almost a relativism is that part of it too or not well i guess you know it it, it might be um one of the other books i have sitting here that i bring it let me just see on that on that note i have um robert venturi's learning from las vegas now robert venturi to the best of my knowledge is the guy who actually coined the term postmodernism and he coined it in relation to architecture and um yeah, I remember, and I've 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 since heard this again. I remember listening to Rabbi Zacharias uh, on a little clip of him, uh, video clip uh, on the the Truth Project, one of the Truth Project videos. I think the one on postmodernism, and then again I heard uh, the uh, the whole clip. Uh, but but he's talking about. Um, you know, postmodern architecture, and he's going to uh, speak uh, at some campus or someplace, and they are driving by, and he points out a building, and said, "What's that building?" And the person said, "Oh, that's that's an example of postmodern architecture where you've got stairs that lead nowhere, and da 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 and da 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 da." And Zacharias's response is, "Well, I guess you hope whoever built the the, the foundation wasn't a postmodern modernist." And um, 
you know, there's a bit of a laugh there. And in, this, in the sense that, oh, well, maybe they just kind of built a foundation that, you know, kind of wasn't really uh, up to spec. Yeah, they kind of built it uh, as a folly. And, and I guess... <laughs> That's kind of preposterous. Well, it, it is preposterous. And I, I think... I mean, is he serious? He, he's, he's serious. Or is but, he trying but, to be funny? No, no, he's... Well, he's, he's, he's making a joke about the fact that there seems to be something wrong with this notion of postmodernism in architecture. And on the one hand, I would thoroughly agree with him. But, but as I've seen a couple of times, he's got an essay out. I think it's his 1998 essay. I don't have it in front of me right now, but I've gone through it where he talks about a, uh, he's gives, he gives a talk and then a student sort of rushes or it's a talk at a university. So I, I believe this is a student who rushes to a microphone and says, you know, these are just words and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, so he, his response is, you know, do, do you want me to be coherent when I'm answering your question? And this kind of shut the person up because, you know, obviously it's not just words. There's, there's, there's meaning and all these other things that in, in, implied in the words. And his, his conclusion out of this, the point he's making by telling the story about going to the lecture and being confronted by this student who just shouts words, 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 is that, you know, this is a, a typical postmodern uh, response or postmodern person. And I, I think one of the key things that I would say is that I would agree with Jamie Smith, whose book I'm reading, the, Who's Afraid of Postmodernism, and, and others who would say that postmodernity as a kind of way of being in the world comes from and is influenced by postmodernism as a set, if you like, of intellectual propositions and understandings, such as those offered by Jacques Derrida, Michel Foucault, and Jean-François Lyotard. There are others as well. But the point is, misunderstanding these notions, these intellectual notions, these ideas about reading and text and uh, you know, big stories, meta-narratives, as Leotard calls them. If we misunderstand that, we're going to misunderstand and miscategorize and misrespond to, and I think it gets larger, misrespect and fail to love, literally fail to love people who are oriented in that manner, who find themselves to be essentially, see the world in a postmodern way and engage with the world in that way. And what does that mean, though, when you say see the world in a postmodern way? What does that well, mean? I, I think it means I would base, I would do it, I would go right back to the very, very, very uh, beginning of it and say postmodern is beyond modern. It is people who are fed up with, who are uh, disenchanted with, who are disillusioned, who have become disillusioned by modernity, by these notions of, of you know, uh, big stories like progress, science, etc., will save us. That's a big story that we've been fed for a long time, and we've seen. No, it doesn't. Actually, science creates the atom bomb, and progress turns into the gap between the rich and the poor has never been greater. Some of the things we're seeing now are the antithesis of what was promised through some of these large stories, these meta narratives, if you like. In other words, the world is getting better. Things yeah, are getting but, better. Progress. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Things are getting better if you're getting richer. You know, <laughs> no worries. But, but in other words, I think what we, one way you could say it is that postmodernity 
is a proliferation of suspicion. It is... Yeah, because it hasn't panned out. Yeah, it hasn't panned out. So it's not just that the facts aren't up to snuff. It's that the way these things are put into play impugns or calls into question. It, 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 it literally presents as, as culpable and guilty the people who are purporting and putting forward these ideas. So you see, yeah, it's not just that things are getting better. It's that the wealthy, it's getting better for the wealthy. It's getting better for those who control science, you know, and, and then ideas about how knowledge is spread. You know, we create knowledge in a certain senses, right? In certain ways. I'm not saying that it's, it's a, it's, I've created the fact that my, my desk is, is hard and it's like made of wood. (laughs) That's, that's not what I'm saying, but, but there are certain ways in which societally, whether through uh, media or et cetera, we create quote unquote knowledge and that's used as a, as, as a, as a huge form of power to take control over situations and people such that events and circumstances go the way I want them to, right? So is this where suspicion and cynicism would come out? Yeah, well, I think, I think on the one hand, and, and so to, to kind of make the distinction, somebody like Bertrand Russell writing in the 20s and 30s is a huge proponent of and a great example of skepticism. So Russell, in terms of his approach to Christianity, that's not a... Uh, postmodern approach. It's a modern approach. It's saying there's not enough information here. There's not enough evidence. I don't believe in God because there's not enough evidence to believe in God. Whereas a postmodern perspective, and and I think in in this sense we can look at the the, the critiques of what we what have been called the masters of suspicion, right? Freud and Marx and Nietzsche, for example. We're not so much looking at the claims as we're looking at the claimants. You Christians claim that this is true, but look at the way you live. Look at who you are. Look at the communities you've created. Look at how you treat the earth. In other words, how can there possibly be any value to what you're saying? Because you yourselves create a mockery of it, while all the while claiming to be doing just what you say you're doing. But we can see through that. So you asked me a question a little earlier, though, I think. I'm not sure if I answered that. Oh, hmm. the definition of, 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 of postmodernism, and I was going the back. The simple definition, to, yeah. <laughs> well, so we're not, we're not going to get there, right? <laughs> We've, I hope we can admit that. I'm, I'm admitting that. I, I'll, I'll take that on. Um, but, um, yeah, the whole thing about, you know, Rabbi Zacharias and his comment about hopefully the person who made the foundation for that building wasn't a postmodern architect. But that I think we've really failed. At, evangelical Christians, by and large, have failed failed to even engage with some of the writings and thought of the people that they are critiquing. So Rabbi makes a comment about that when, you know, I've got this book in front of me learning from Las Vegas and you know what? None of the buildings that are postmodern in here have fallen down. None of them have had things fall off of them because somebody, nobody has walked up a staircase to open a door that went out into nowhere. Well, it's kind of a funny quip and I mean I asked earlier if he was serious. I I I mean I think what I was thinking also in the back of my mind was well there's kind of context too. I mean that would just I don't know. I sort of get his quip, but I sort of am like, well why couldn't it be both? <laughs> 
Why couldn't yeah. they build stairways to nowhere? And why couldn't they build a really good foundation? Because they don't want the building to fall over. Like, I just, in some ways, it's kind of a lame joke. Yeah. Well, I guess he's saying that one of the things that I've, I've, that they really seem to push on in terms of, you know, the apologeticists really push is this notion of consistency. And if you're not internally consistent, then what are you? You're, you know, what exactly are you saying? Although I do remember in college, uh, I took a class from J.P. Moreland, and he was talking about relativism and how he was in a student's dorm room, and somehow they were talking about relativism or something, and he said, well, you know, relativism would say that, I say that it's okay for me to take your stereo, so I'm I'm leaving with it right now. You know, and it got lots of laughs, and it's like, oh, okay, yeah, I see your point. So, I, I don't know, maybe that's the same type of thing that Zacharias is doing here, only this time it doesn't make that as much sense to me yeah well uh, maybe I, I i guess i take his point you know I, I hope that this kind of this playfulness quote-unquote playfulness doesn't apply where people's lives are at stake and in fact i bet i'm betting that they that it doesn't so you know i i think his really his his and and that of others that the kind of desire to pin down where, what these people are saying and what they believe and where they're at, I think that makes some sense. But I think what's what's what I'm seeing doesn't make sense, and what I'm seeing is really problematic, is that these folks, and I, I guess I shouldn't say these folks. I, I'm, I'm reading Ravi now, and, and the second chapter of his Beyond Opinion is written by uh, a woman in his organization, and so the book is not all written by him, but it's written by it's a. Uh, it's an edited book that he both edits and and it's uh, has made a submission or two in. Um, and interestingly, this person is in his organization is writing on postmodernism and is defining postmodernism on the basis of the works of Jacques Derrida, Michel Foucault, and Jean-François Lyotard. But the problem is that that person has misunderstood what these folks are saying. So when I and how do you this, know that? Well, you know, I can I can take I've got a couple of books here. I can take the writings of Merrill Westfall, whose community, which interpretation? I mean, he's got a number of books and a number of articles that are really helpful. His book on onto, overcoming onto theology is another good one. Uh, I can take Jamie Smith. I can take Smith, Van Hooser, and Westfall together in Christianity in the Postmodern Turn. Um, I could take Anthony Thistleton, Interpreting God and the Postmodern Self. That's another book here. Um, and some of, I'm not sure if some of the stuff I've got in Disciplining Hermeneutics, but I've got a number of books here in front of me. I've got a book edited by Westfall, Postmodern Philosophy and Christian Thought, and a number of, a number of people here. They would all, as academicians who are peer-reviewed, they would all disagree. So, one of the things that happens at an academic level is, you know, it takes a while for you to get tenure, if even, you know, tenure is a kind of an elusive thing these days anyways. But you're not going to get tenure as an up-and-coming academician. If you start writing stuff and all of your peers who are equally trained, let's say, and who are writing in other, you know, institutions of equal prestige or what have you, read your stuff and say, whoa, this guy's out to lunch. You can't do it. You can have a different perspective. But to totally miss the mark is to marginalize yourself. 
And one instance I, I know of this happening is Robert Eisenman in the field of uh, textual, biblical textual criticism. Eisenman is, uh, he is way, way, way out there. I read a couple of reviews and they were just um, one step sort of scathing. Now we can go into Eisenman. I've got another book here that is uh, written by a, a student of Eisenman's. And um, I, I think what's happening is Ravi Zacharias, I'm not sure who he goes to, to look at his work and say, oh, okay, yeah, it looks like you've done a good job here. I'm not sure who he's submitted his material to. But unlike these guys who have to submit to journals, who have to publish books, who have their peers giving them feedback all the time, he has no one, right? And I, I, my guess is that's why he's been able to do what he's been able to do, which is to put out ideas that really do not do justice. They don't uh, do well by, do right by the people that he's criticizing. So wait, is this a, is this a widespread widespread pattern or is you're just seeing this in this first second chapter uh well i've seen this through i think he's he's i've i think i've listened to two or three of his videos now i've read closely read two or three of his essays and i've got two of his books here i've just started this one and i would say through all of them there are these mistaken notions of what postmodernity is and then he's got these ideas about like you know, he makes conclusions on the basis of things that people are telling him, like this woman who rushes to the microphone after his presentation and says words, words, words. And that the conclusion is this is a typical postmodern. No, 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 it's not. First of all, you know, it's well possible that you've got somebody in the car with you telling you about a building or someone rushing up to a microphone who has only enough information about Derrida's writings or postmodernism architecture to be dangerous. So that's not a typical postmodern. This is probably a university student who's got a little bit of information and really not enough. Hmm. You know? But the other point that I, I, I find is really, really troubling is that there just doesn't seem to be a lot of generosity given. So in a certain sense, if someone's, you know, if, if I'm listening as, as a Christian to someone presenting on Christianity and they're telling me all these great reasons why Christianity is right, my first response would be, yeah, those are just words. You're giving me, in other words, truth claims. Show me the truth value. Give me the substance. Where is that? And I think that's so much of what post-mod, post, you know, postmodernism, when it's lived out, when it, the, the, the notions and the ideas become concretized in people's lives, that's what it's about. And there's a deep, deep, profound understanding it's not, it's not voiced and it's not at the forefront because it's just so potent that the problem of evil is ubiquitous and it's overpowering. And in that context, when you start talking about God and goodness and love and all these other things and truth, that's just a bunch of words. Translation, that's a bunch of crap. Okay, you've given me a whole bunch of crap in a big wheelbarrow. So why don't you show me, why don't you show me how you can polish some of this up? <laughs> right? And instead of coming back to somebody and saying, do you want my words to be coherent? And, and you know, that, that was a little bit of a trick too on his part, I think, because on the one hand, they're both being coherent, right? Even when she's saying words, 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 she's using, you know, her, her grammar and syntax and everything are coherent. Do you want me to be coherentist? No, I don't want that. 
which is do you want my words and my propositions to line up with other words and propositions that I've said so that this all makes sense? No, I want it to be correspondent. I want you to your words to correspond to a reality that I can touch and see and smell. Because when you're talking about big notions like love and goodness and care and truth, they better be real. You know, everyone has been let down, everyone has been disillusioned, and everyone has been taken advantage of. And we all know that that sucks and nobody wants it. You know, somebody who has a modern sense of the world is still going to hold to the view that, yeah, I, 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 can, I can get some stuff that's really true. And there's some stuff out there that's really legitimate, and it's just a matter of finding it. And, you know, I don't think it's uh, unreasonable to not believe that. It may be untrue, but it's not unreasonable because the experiential plays a role in our determinations and in our ability to navigate the world. Thanks for listening to the Untangling Christianity podcast. Notes and links for this episode are at untanglingchristianity.com. We welcome your thoughts and comments both at the website and our private Facebook group. If you'd like to join the private Facebook group, let us know your email address in the sidebar of the website to receive notes and links for each episode, and we'll send you an invite to our private group. Or you can send your thoughts or requests to join the group by email. Send those emails to feedback at untanglingchristianity.com. Music on this podcast is made possible by Kevin McLeod at incompetech.com and is licensed under a Creative Commons license. Tune in next week for a new episode. <laughs>